ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. All right, so I'm excited about this one. I'm on with uh, Mark Nathiri and uh, Ed Morris. Uh, going to be doing a little talking about uh, the, the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. And I was I was very impressed. So Ed sent an email after uh, Joe Gillia, myself, and Jim Huntsman recorded. And to hear about the league was was pretty impressive, but then it was a little bit alarming to understand that we have groundwork that's been laid a template if you will of taking action uh and how it looks when you take action and you know the upsides and downsides and for some reason that i'd never even heard of it and when when joe and jim and i talked about it nobody else has ever heard of it and i was uh it was a little alarming uh so welcome gents i want to get this out there and if folks are so inclined to take initiative and and maybe use the template or some of the lessons learned there in kentucky um man that's you know what i'm hoping to do with this episode so welcome and and thank you for sitting down with me thanks for having us guy well at least you know that was a that was a little brain test there i'm sure to to kick us off here but uh i'm a lifelong hunter fishermen my family were all farmers some still are uh i own a small cattle operation and, and farm in uh uh central kentucky uh i'm past third district president and director i was a three-term pre- state president for the league of kentucky sportsmen um 
I've won my share of awards, I guess, for doing all the right things uh, and probably upsetting all the correct people along the way. And um, in November, I was appointed uh, the governor sportsman's liaison, and that's the first time that's ever been done in the history of our state. So uh, that's the uh, that's the Reader's Digest version about me. But uh, uh, I'm an avid uh, I'm an avid bird hunter, small game hunter, uh, deer hunter, deer in Turkey and Kentucky. I'm a custom call maker. Uh, I've hunted extensively out in the western states, and still make a yearly migration out to Wyoming for antelope and deer and the occasional elk. So uh, I, I think I've got a pretty good flavor on what goes on around the country and, and the obstacles that sports people are, are facing all across the country. And if I would have kept it to first initials, uh, Ed, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Same as Mark. Uh, I'm a little older than Mark, but uh, again, uh, I got into it in my, in my high school years. My dad was always a, a rabbit squirrel hunter. Uh, when I was a young kid, there weren't any deer in Kentucky. We, uh, they were just starting to open the deer season, but I'm a, a very avid bow hunter. Uh, whitetail here in Kentucky and Kansas, Indiana, three or four States around here. And then uh, come West every year as well. This past year was fortunate to hunt in Colorado, uh, elk hunt and Montana, and then ended up drawing a moose tag in Maine and went up there and was successful on the, my moose hunt. Uh, we turkey hunt in four or five states, like Mark said, hunt quite a bit all over the country, so I have a pretty good feel of sportsmen. Uh, avid waterfowler, that was probably my passion for, for many years, was, was waterfowl hunting, and uh, Still is. I still have three labs and and uh, pretty much a dog guy, just like Mark has his bird dogs. I've got my labs, and um, started uh, with the league of Kentucky Sportsman years ago, just as a member. Uh, then finally was uh, elected as president of the third district. The way uh, the league is set up here in Kentucky, uh, there are nine districts, just like there are nine commissioners on our Fish and Wildlife Commission. Each commissioner has a district, and we have a federation of the league in that district. I live in the third district, as does Mark. I was elected uh, president of the third district, and then after that, I was elected president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. And now I'm back uh, as president of the third district. I guess I can't go away. I'm like, like a bad check. I keep coming back, but I just love the involvement and uh, dealing with uh, the good sportsmen that we have here. So uh, that's pretty much it. But uh, like like I just said, pretty much an avid hunter and hunt out west and here and a little bit everywhere. Yes, sir. So let's, we'll, we're going to jump right into one of the things that that kind of chaps my hide with with our demographic. And, you know, with, with the league – and one of the things I learned in, you know, when, when you sent me the, ed, the email, Ed, is that it, it's covering different demographics, right. Of, of sportsmen, right. Be it, you know, whitetail hunters, waterfowlers, bird doggers, things like that. And one of the things that we don't do really well is come together as a unit. Um, and, and it's, it's a fair weather friend game, right. If it's, you know, if it's, 
to our benefit, then we're on we're on the bandwagon. But if it doesn't affect what we're doing in the moment, we're kind of blind and I guess adverse to lending assistance where, you know, whereas a bear hunter is affected. <coughs> um, and if you're not a bear hunter and you're just out chasing, you know, ungulates, you could care less and trappers and it just, you know, it's frustrating, right? We draw these lines in the sand for ourselves and we're under this attack and we, it just seems like it's, it's hard for us to come together as a whole um, and, and, take this fight on together. I mean, we're, we're stronger with numbers. Where, where do you guys stand with that? Well, uh, go ahead, Ed. Go ahead, Mark. All right. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, Hunter, typically sportsmen are their own worst enemy when it comes to these type of issues. Uh, they tend to be very apathetic. Uh, now they'll come together in a force once something hits them in the face. Uh, when it affects their particular area, area or their passion, be it deer hunting or, or bear hunting or hound hunting or bird hunting or whatever, then they're they're ready to to fight and they'll come forward with with the, their their time and money and everything else. But the biggest problem with sportsmen is that we're always reactive and very very little proactive. Um, that that's what I've seen and and fighting it here in Kentucky is, you know, we, we constantly strive to get information out to people, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and we've had our fights here too. Don't, don't get me wrong. We've had the, the, the trappers and, and the houndsmen battle each other and the crossbows versus the uh, compound and traditional bow hunters and a lot of those fights as well. Um, and you know, it's kind of like not my backyard syndrome, I call it, but, uh, but we've kind of hopefully worked through a lot of those and people hope they're starting to see that the other side is very well organized and very well funded. And they're after what we do. Go ahead, Mark. Well, the word I would use when you describe, when you describe uh, sportsmen's reactions, I, the word I use is apathetic. Um, Gosh, I'm sorry for your bad luck. It's terrible that HSUS is coming after you guys for wanting to have a bear season. It's it's terrible that uh, uh, the Audubon Society and the HSUS doesn't want you to have a sandhill crane season. And you know, oh gosh, yeah, you know, you guys use dogs to 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 you know for your hunting, and you know that's a shame that that a lot of people don't like that and think you're being cruel for sending that lab out there in that icy water. You know, it's. Uh, you're, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's very reactionary. Um, and unless it's something that, that truly affects me, I don't pay a whole lot of attention about it. And the key to getting other people involved, in other words, to get that white-tailed deer hunter involved over a, over a waterfowl or a turkey hunting issue or small game issues is to get them to open their eyes and realize that what affects one affects all of us, some way, shape, or form. It will affect all of us. Um, you know, you have to play a lot of connected dots with people, and that's you know when we. I think what started this is is Ed saw a number of releases by the HSUS on uh, mountain lion hunting and bobcat hunting and so forth in the western states, and. You know, by communicating that out to our folks here just through social media, 
That starts raising people's eyes. Our our legislature is back in session now, and uh, I'll give credit where credit's due. Ed does a tremendous job of keeping an eye on the the upcoming bills on a daily basis and and is great about communicating anything that, that could impact the sports people. And to that point, though, we've done a good job. The sports people and the leadership around the state have done a good job uh, in making our name known to our legislators. And we're not afraid to pick up the phone and, and have a discussion, not an argument, but a discussion, a meaningful discussion with our legislators. And it's rare that they don't, by the end of the conversation, don't come to the conclusion that maybe they are going down the wrong path. So, uh, but communication is key. Communication is key. Getting the information to the sports people, and just having a just having a eight hundred and fifty thousand up, upset sports people over something just isn't enough. You have to communicate, you know, that passion and that emotion. You have to communicate that back to your legislators. And I learned a long time ago, and I know Ed to say the same thing. They're nobody special. You know, we put them in office. They work for us. They have to listen to us. They may not have to vote for the the topic at hand. But we don't have to vote for him at the next uh, he or she at the next go around in the election booth either. You know, guy, I was just going to say, and, and it's just a little personal uh, issue with me. But but it's not just sportsmen in general who tend to look the other way. Uh, I belong to most of the of the ABC alphabet groups, uh, RMEF, DU, NWTF, uh, NDA. I'm on the board of NDA here in Kentucky. Uh, it's It's been kind of frustrating in years past where we had an issue. And I go back several years when we were trying to get the bears, uh, get bear hunting uh, approved here in the state of Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky, the Appalachian Mountains is just getting overrun with bears. We have an elk herd trying to, to gain footing. And, of course, the, the elk are, are a big predator of, of elk calves. And I was talking to folks who are in statewide power, not of a national level, but with groups like DU and Quail Forever and some different groups trying to get them on board with us. And even the national groups were kind of like, well, that's really not our bailiwick. Well, national doesn't want us to get involved in politics too hard. Uh, you know, well, we're a 501c3 or 4, and it could maybe endanger that. And there were issues just getting the major groups to come together. Now, sometimes when something just really blatant comes out, yeah, they'll come together. But but even now, it's not just the regular everyday sportsmen, but it's all of the big national groups as well uh, need to understand that what happens to one group could next week be tra- happening to their group. Okay, so so you kind of hit on it there too, right? And Mark said, you know, there's a lot of connecting the dots. In my head, this the dots have been connected for a long time. It seems like it almost feels like at times we're beating on beating on a dead horse, right? I, I don't I don't understand how much more folks can voice it or how much more you have to see before you realize that this isn't about 
one aspect of hunting. This is about hunting, period, across the board, right? If you if you can affect one method of take at some point, you can affect the next method of take. And you can affect the same, the first method of take in multiple states by the precedence that's set in one. I, I don't understand why there's so much need for us to still be trying to connect the dots. And it's like, wake up, folks. There, There is a reason that we need to come together. Uh, but, but it goes to what you're saying, I think, is is the the apathy part, right? And it's just phenomenal to me that we're 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 at a point where we're watching all this happen on a every other day basis especially right now i mean it's an onslaught but we're still having to beg people to take action it, it it's phenomenal to me um if you care about it as much as you do why why are we begging why are folks begging for people to step up and take a few minutes to type an email or uh, you know recently how how was introduced to the world, uh, our hunting world. And even that you would think for as easy as it is, I mean, it's literally about call it 45 seconds to take action. Um, but when I look at the numbers there, I see people sharing it and I see it going out, but it doesn't seem like folks are wanting to connect the dots or really truly wanting to protect this. I think part of that. Comes- I agree. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree at all. And and I think a lot of this is because the sports person is going to have to step out of a comfort zone and they're going to have to step into what many would call a political arena. You know, those that are attacking hunting, fishing, trapping, even falcon, excuse me, even falconry, and you know, the list probably can be added on there. Um you know, they're not working on a, a local level. They're working on it at a minimum, a state level, and then again, and then at a federal level. But, you know, for the sport, for the average sports person to pick up the phone and call their legislator, first, they have to find out about, about the, the legislation, about the bills being introduced. And, you know, that's not really an easy task for the average person. It is, but it's a little bit daunting. Every state will, will have their uh, the equivalent of, 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 you know, Kentucky's legislature. And there's a website you can go to and we'll show you the list of bills. But, you know, the dangerous part about legalese, as I call it, some of the most, you know, innocuous, unassuming language is some of the most dangerous language out there. You have to look past what it says and determine what the intent is. That's number one. So what really is dangerous? How do you pull those, those, how do you peel those layers of the onion off? Number one. And number two, the first time someone picks up that phone to call a legislator to uh, voice their opinion can be a little bit intimidating. The great news is once they do it, they're more apt to do it time and time again. I I know for me in that realm, right? Call you're actually, it's, it's an ease, right? You you have the conversation, you voice your opinion on it, and it's really an easy conversation. They're not, I haven't had one where they've been off-putting or didn't want to listen or were, you know, vehemently against what I had to say. They're always willing to listen. It's an easy conversation. Uh, A lot of times it's someone in the office of that you're talking to, 
that's that's taking right. those notes and things like that. So yeah, I would encourage you know folks to to just give it a go. Um, and and going back to it with with Hal now, um, it's it's pre. There's a, a letter. It's already done. So you get in the action center, and I'm no. I know Ed, you've looked at it, Mark. I'm not sure if you have. You go into the action center and you pick the action, and uh, everything. You fill out your name, your email, and and the letter to the legislature is already filled out. Uh, and and now they've added, you know, a call, and they give you prompts for the call, uh, and you hit it, and you you call this rep, and you call the next rep, and all the prompts are there. Um, it's yeah, I'm, I'm, I keep bringing that up and I'll keep bringing it up because I think that it's high time that we had something like that. And, and it's easy for folks to take action, uh, with that. Um, you know, you know, one thing about like, like the league here in Kentucky guy, we are the statewide affiliate for sportsman's Alliance. We, we, we donate, we write a pretty good check every year and we're their designated statewide, uh, affiliate. And Sportsman Alliance, of course, has been fighting these battles for for years. Uh, Hal's doing a great job now. I took everything that Hal had about Vermont trying to outlaw hound hunting to the Beagle Clubs in New in New Jersey to Colorado, Washington getting rid of their spring bear season, and I put that on the Kentucky's League of Kentucky Sportsmen's Facebook page, and I actually got a pretty good response. I got a real good response from the Kentucky Bear Hunters Association when I, I brought up about Vermont uh, trying to outlaw hound hunting because apparently we've got some of our hound hunters here like to go up there and, and bear hunt there and Maine both. Uh, so just putting the information in front of the people got a response. I did, as you said, I hit a lot of the automatic replies. One thing I've see, seen a little bit of, when you send out the boilerplate, everything helps. But sometimes when you write your own words, it, it gets their attention where they know it's just not somebody clicking and, and sending, hit click and send. It's a little more personal. And uh, But just getting the, the, the information out there uh, to people to where they can realize we had a, um, and I think I told you, and like you've addressed on your show a couple times, you take the general population. 10% of the population are avid hunters. 10% are avid anti-hunters. It's the 80% in the middle that we have to convince, whether it's the legislature that's in that 80% or it's a ballot box issue. Uh, like a lot of states, let's like the wolves in Colorado ended up being a ballot box. Um, it's up to us to convince that 80% who really doesn't have any feelings either way to, hey, here's the information, here's the science, please take time to look at this and review it, and we can swing those people our way. And, and we've done a pretty good job of that here in Kentucky. Uh, like I told you, I think when we passed our constitutional right to hunt, 84% of the general population voted in favor of it, and that was because of the league getting the information out there to everybody uh, and letting them know that you know this is our heritage and this is our rights. So, so that, that brings up an interesting point, right? Because we, that's one of our fail points is not, is not spreading the good word, right? In, in terms of hunting. And we're always, as you said earlier, on the defensive with it. And we're, we're always defending against the antis, the folks that don't want to hear what we have to say. So, so how do we approach 
the situation where we are being proactive and spreading that word to that 80 percentile? Well, it's going to take. Well, I mean, go ahead, go ahead Ed. No, go ahead. Well, what I started to say is somewhere in every state there, there is, I hate to go down this road, but there is, there is someone in leadership of a local club or of one of the alphabet soup clubs is I'll call it, I'll use Ed's terminology as well. And the desire has to be there. And usually it, it takes is the result of a great deal of frustration of watching things go to hell and go to hell in a handbasket or go down the, the path to hell and going out and visiting and meeting with other clubs, sportsmen's clubs, sportsmen's organizations, and, and developing this grassroots action. And, you know, it could be as simple as the daisy chain phone call list uh, to, to start the phones ringing in the state capitol, or it could be a full-fledged development of a, of a new organization like the League of Kentucky Sportsmen. You know, the, the league didn't happen overnight. It, it, it started in 1935, and there's been a lot of really good years, and there's been a lot of really bad years. Um, but we've had a lot of successes over the years. You know, up until, oh, I don't know, I'd say probably the mid-'80s, Every governor of the state of Kentucky was a member of the Kentucky sportsman. If they weren't when they were elected, they usually joined is, is what, what I've been told by some of the old timers. But, you know, you think about an organization founded in 1935 and our Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, as we know it today, wasn't founded until 1946. Those were some pretty forward thinking folks back then. And, and we're talking about days, keep in mind, you know, they weren't even rotary phones back then. You know, you went to the corner general store to make your phone call. You, uh, you sent, you know, you, everything went snail mail. There were, there was no overnight express or UPS next day delivery. There were no cell phones. You know, it, it, it really in the day's terms would be an insurmountable task to take that on to organize uh, something that, that has had the staying power of the league uh, in 1935, but, you know, it's, but it is designed as a grassroots organization. It, it looks for issues in each district. And I, I can tell you, and I know Ed will attest to this as well from, from his time as, as, as even just a district president. And, but our state is very diverse and the nine districts that we have, I'm not so sure anybody could have done a better job of splitting the state up when you talk about both geographical and from a sportsman's perspective, uh, diversity across the state. And, and uh, that was when I became state president in uh, 2010. And that was actually very eye-opening for me. I thought I had already been to every nook and in, in, in cranny in the state of Kentucky, but I found out I had, I had only scratched the surface, but over the course of the next three years, I can tell you, I have been to every nook and cranny in Kentucky, and I can tell you, sports people in 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 each of those nooks and crannies, they have a different issue out there, and I would dare say that translate, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> translates all across the country. You know, the the uh, the cattle rancher that runs a little bit of outfitting in Wyoming 
has a completely set of issues than the independent outfitter who's guiding on, on state land. Um, and we're fortunate that we have a department like we do, <coughs> excuse me, with our nine commissioners um, that are supposed to be working for the sportsmen that they represent. Now there, there's issues there and that could be a whole show in itself, but um, uh, <coughs> it, it's funny how, People say one thing, and then when they when they get in those positions, they start doing the other thing. And I'd say right about now, Ed's probably biting a hole in his cheek. And if he could, and, and if he could kick me, he probably would. But um, but it is grassroots. It works. The league works from the ground up, listening to what sportsmen's issues are across the state, and uh, it 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 filters up from the district to the director of that district who is a board member on the state board and the state board, uh, our state board meets, uh, I believe they're meeting every other month right now. So, but in the meantime, there's, there's hot issues that come up that everybody gets involved in and you, you start throwing fire on the, or flames on the fire. Well, I'll get it out in a minute, water on the flames. So, um, and, you know, we've got a couple of those issues going on right now. And, and sometimes, sometimes here's what people don't realize. Sometimes you're not even fighting the HSUSs, the Annie Hunters, uh, the PETAs. Sometimes you're fighting the, the people that you think are working in your best interest or supposed to be working in your best interest. Keep in mind, we're talking about politics here. Politics don't always go the way that people want them to go. <laughs> you know, that's one another thing, show in itself too. One, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, you know, one, one thing, uh, guys. That uh, just like Mark said, uh, we have the nine districts. Each district has its own organization. Our clubs in the range from trappers to deer hunters to bird hunters, uh, quail forever uh, is a is a big backer. Safari Club International is a, is a huge supporter of the league of kentucky sportsmen we have local archery clubs bow hunters uh fishermen fly fishermen it, it covers the whole gamut and, and we try to feed information and like any organization there's a few volunteers that do 10 percent of the work 10 percent of the people do 90 percent of the work but we just get the information out there uh politics unfortunately is part of it our state commission the, the, the commission of fish and wildlife we have a selection process in kentucky we, yeah, every four years uh they rotate on three-year interims but the commissioners on the fish and wildlife come up for for a selection process the sportsmen all meet and they select five names if there's more than five they hold a vote the top five vote getters, those names all go to the governor. And then the governor makes the decision as to who's going to sit on that seat for a four-year term. They, Well, the way it used to be was once they got on there, they might sit on there for eight terms or 10 terms. Uh, back in 2010, the league pushed a very strong bill to the legislature, got it passed. The governor signed it. It's called Senate Bill 64. In that, we now added that once the governor appoints that commissioner, used to be that was it. He was he was there. 
we got it pushed through now that it requires Senate confirmation. We have a lot of friends in the state Senate. We have life members of the league that are in the state Senate. And we've actually, in one instance, where the governor appointed someone, had the Senate, with our urging, did not confirm him. And the Senate had to put somebody else because we felt he wasn't the best choice to really represent the sportsmen. Uh, we set term limits with that. Uh, we required an annual outside audit, uh, which had not been required before of fish and wildlife. We want to know where the money's going, and we want somebody besides an apartment looking over their shoulder. Um, one of the big items was no net loss of property. Uh, our fish and wildlife owns about 600,000 acres, plus or minus, of the wildlife management areas, public areas that the sportsmen have bought and paid for. There is zero tax dollars in Kentucky that goes to the Fish and Wildlife Department. 100% of the funds come from fishing and hunting licenses and matching taxes like Wallet Road, Dingle, those type of things. No tax money goes there. Well, that money bought these WMAs public land for hunters, and we pushed through no net loss. We've had governors that wanted to turn them into horse riding parks because their wives were big horse ladies. And we've had them where they wanted to sell them to private development because urban sprawl grew up around them. And we finally just said, if you do that, you've got to replace it somewhere else. We <laughs> cannot have any net loss. So we've been very, very successful in what we do. And it's politics, but we've got friends on both sides of the aisles. We've got some, some on the Democratic side that go to bat for us as hard as some of the ones on the Republican side. So uh, like Mark said, unfortunately, it's still politics and uh, the appointments sometimes we don't always agree with and we have to, the, the bylaws, the original bylaws of 1935 of our organization stated that we were to be the watchdog when, this was in 1946 when Fish and Wildlife Department was actually formed. Our bylaws were revised to say that the league was to be the watchdog over the fish and wildlife department. And and there's a lot of wisdom in this being a non or a, excuse me a bipartisan approach, right? I mean, you know, a lot of times with with our demographic, right, that generally speaking, I'm broad stroking, right? Most folks are are, you know, center right um to to right hard right leaning. Um but there's issues in my head. There's issues that come up with that because we can be very off-putting to opposition uh, in terms of bar uh, partisanship. And we always want to have the ear of folks. But uh, as the saying goes, right, you get you get more uh, more flies with uh, honey than you do with vinegar. Um how how has that affected you guys in terms of, you know, being on whatever side of the aisle or not being on either side of the aisle and really laying it down for sportsmen? Well, I'll give you a great, a great comeback on that. Our current governor is a Democrat and he appointed me as, as his sportsman's liaison and I'm a Republican. So the point being that our fish and wildlife department and this is something that probably gets that I get caught in my crawl all the time. It is it is not a political playground. The, the Fish and Wildlife Department politics is the last thing that should come up in there. It should be about the resource. It should be about the wildlife. It should be about those that are supporting it. 
And uh, as a result of that, uh, it still is this today, although the some things have muddied the water along the way, but there can be no more than five of any one political party sitting on our non, non-person commission. And uh, so, yes, there can be a, a majority, although a very small majority. Um, but unfortunately, what's happened over the years is, you know, you have Democrats, you have Republicans, and, and now you have independents on there as well, too. And they may be Republicans in, in independence clothing or, or vice versa. But um, I don't really care about politics. I don't I don't care what someone's party affiliation is. What I'm concerned about is are you going to do what's best for the wildlife and are you going to listen to the sports people that are that are paying the bills for this department? Um, you know, biologically, there's a lot of things that, that, that are dictated biologically that maybe sports people don't really care for. You know, we, we'd like to have huge bag limits on everything, but let's face it, populations can't support that. That's why we're where we are today with the, with the ample populations that exist all around the country. But um, when it comes down to things such as license fees or access or season dates, um, you know, those are social issues and they warrant longer discussions. Um, expansion of crossbow seasons and things of that nature. What, you know, there's, there's some blurring of the lines there. What is the impact biologically by, by expanding season dates? And so that's, you know, it's a real tangled web in there. And, and what's important is anybody that enters into those conversations go in there with eyes wide open and, and have an open mind and ready to have a, a logical dialogue. Um, it's the folks that want to dig their heels in and got to have it their way, or they're going to take their ball and go home. Um, most politicians really aren't that way. They, they realize how they got there. So they listen to you, as you've already stated, when you've made phone calls and had these conversations, generally you have some, some pretty good dialogue with these folks. If they're willing to carve some time out of their schedule to listen to you, um, you've made some headway right there. You know, guys, sometimes, go ahead, guys, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Ed. Go ahead and finish. I, I wrote it down, so I'll come back to it. Uh, I, you know, and the other thing, too, like, like with these politicians, is a lot of them uh, are attorneys. Doctors, successful business people, may, maybe even ministers. A lot of them are in that eighty percent genre that they've never hunted or fished in their life. They really don't have anything against it, but they don't know a lot about it. They don't know much about our sport. And when you start throwing some facts at them, you get their attention. They just think, "Oh, well, that's just them old boys that like to go rabbit hunting," or "He's got a couple coon dogs over there." Yeah, that they they have a good time, but that's really no big deal. We held a a holiday Christmas party here in the third district uh, back at the beginning of December. Mark was there in attendance. We invited all the local legislators, everywhere from candidates for the mayor of Louisville, which is where we live, Republican and and Democratic both, uh, all the way through local offices for sheriff, all the way up to running for the United States House of Representatives, candidates running on a national level. And we had them there from state Senate, from the House, candidates, and current sitting legislators. And when we got them all in the room, uh, I kicked it off and, and started reading them some facts. 
And I had two different legislators after the meeting asked me to send them all of that information because they had no idea. And what we showed them was, did you know that in Kentucky, hunting and fishing is, is a $5.2 billion economic impact? It generates $860 million in state taxes and revenue every year. It supports 70,000 full-time jobs and 35,000 part-time jobs. And they were like, whoa, we didn't know that. What would, they, they didn't know that we represented 880,000 license holders in the state of Kentucky and we're a population of 4.4 million. So that's a pretty heavy uh, percentage. So when you start throwing facts and figures and dollars and, and, and business and, and generating taxes, it got their attention. And then, then we broke up. We called the meeting to order. We had wild game dinner. We, everybody got to eat. Some of them never had eaten elk brisket or venison stew. or We had moose chili. I mean, we had a little bit of everything. And some, some of them had never even tried wild game. And they, they were trying it and eating it. And the whole time they were getting an earful from all the sportsmen that were there. Uh, from from the hounds guys to the deer hunting guys to this, so you, you've got to be like we talked about it at the beginning of the of the broadcast, proactive. Uh, you can't wait till H HSUS is walking the halls and making donations to candidates and filing a bill, and now all of a sudden you got to go find friends. If you're going to be successful in the future on any state organization, you've got to be proactive. Mark and I. During the legislature, I can't tell you how many hours and how many miles we've walked in the Capitol building, going from office to office to office to office, sitting down, even if it's only for five minutes. Hey, we appreciate your vote on the last issue. And we let the sportsmen know that you voted on our behalf. You got to let them know when they do something right. They hear everything they do wrong. But if you don't scratch their back once in a while and tell them, look, you guys are doing a good job for the sportsmen and we're noticing and and that's being proactive, and that's what you have to do if you're going to be successful. You know, and here's what people forget. Those legislators, they live in your neighborhood. You know, they may be down the street. They may be around the corner, but they're somewhere in the general area. They live somewhere in the general area where you live. And when your sportsman's group is, is having a meeting, having a club meeting, invite those people. And when they come in, make them feel welcome. Give them a few minutes to speak in front of a crowd. And, and there's there are ways to win these folks over. And, you know, people hear it and they, they're told how powerful the sportsman's vote can be. And I'm, I'm going to give you a real quick statistics here. Our last governor election, the winning vote, okay, the winning count for the votes for the state of Kentucky governor was 709,000. I'm using, just going to use round numbers. In the state of Kentucky, there are 850,000 license holders, hunters, fishermen, trappers. If you can win the sportsman's vote, you can win the election. And that's what that's what politicians are just now starting to figure out to Ed's point, number one. And, and the more sports people that wake up to that and the, the power of their spending, the power of the economy that they create, 
they become they suddenly become more powerful. Okay, so, with, so let me challenge that thought real quick, right? If if we know and and you know for any politicians listening, I'm sorry, I have to ask it. We, we we're going to go through an initial vetting, right? And we're gonna we're gonna support that person. And as as one of you stated earlier, right? Politicians are politicking, and they may not always do what they said they do once they're in that seat. So how do we vet them? And then how do we, for the lack of a better phrase, right? Keep your friends close, your enemies closer. How do we keep them close enough to make sure that that decision we made to back them, that their you know, and and their decision to tell us yes, yes, sportsmen. How do we hold their feet to the fire uh, once they get in office there? Because I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. Well, it's also a very slippery slope. Um, you you praise them in public and you chastise them in private. Unless it's just absolutely a glaring deviation from, from what you were told or what was expected. Um you know, it's uh, they want your vote. You know, they they ultimately that's what that's what the whole game is. And um, you know, when they make the when they make the correct vote, when they do what they say they're going to do, when they rise to the occasion, you you let everybody know about it. Whether it's you know as simple as a phone call to them, but carry it forward and, and go through social media and go to the clubs and. As Ed mentioned, you know, let your sports people know who's doing something for you and encourage those people to make those same phone calls because that 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 person making that vote, they realize that when they make the wrong vote, they're going to have all those same people calling them again. And nobody likes those phone calls. It's much easier to do the right thing than it is to recover from doing the wrong thing. You know, one thing on that, uh, talking about how you hold them to the fire, referencing back to that uh, governor's race that Mark was talking about, in that last election, the previous governor, the incumbent, who was running for re-election, Fish and Wildlife Department in Kentucky has quite a bit of money sitting in their account. Again, it's sportsman's money, it's not tax money but there were millions of dollars sitting in an account. Uh, the sitting governor decided that he needed that money to offset some pension issues and everything else. And he went after that, that fund, the sportsman's fund, very heavily. He also started exerting a lot of control over fish and wildlife. He basically got rid of the existing overall commissioner, put in a temporary commissioner, uh, really, really aggravated the sportsmen around the state, especially when he was trying to take the money that belonged to the sportsmen. Came the election. There were 12 statewide races, Secretary of State, uh, you know, Agriculture Commissioner, 12 statewide. 11 of the 12 were won by Republicans. The only Democrat that won was the, I mean, the only, all, the only one that, that was not a Republican was the governor's race. And the new governor, a Democrat, was voted in. And sportsmen really remembered what happened and what he tried to do. And I've had several legislators since then talk to me about that same incident. And he, they all say, well, 
everybody thinks maybe it was the teachers because he was fighting the teachers at the same time. He said, but we all know it was the sportsmen who showed up in that last election. Uh, since then, right now, nobody's really trying to take the money anymore, but uh, that money's used for, to, to fund wildlife issues and purchase property. But uh, you beat them at the ballot box. Uh, if they don't do what you say at the next election, you rally the forces, you let them know what they did, and you go to his opponent and you say, what are you going to do? First of all, you, want, you don't want to get somebody in there that might even be worse, but you, you've got you've to talk to these people and, and know where they stand. We used to, years ago, we used to send out surveys to all the candidates. Where do you stand on this issue? What about public hunting? What do you think about this? And uh, put them on the spot a little bit. Some would respond, some wouldn't. But uh, uh, again, you beat them with dollars. We write checks. Mark and I both, we write checks every year to certain candidates. And we remind them that we write them checks. And we remind them that, you know, we're, the league is a 501c3. By such, we cannot endorse a political party or a political candidate. We are allowed to lobby on any legislation. What we do as individuals is our personal business. So we as individuals remind candidates that, hey, remember that check I wrote you last year on your campaign? Don't forget about it. And, and money and votes is what motivates any politician. So that's a that's an interesting deal, right? And and if you look, we'll just use California as an example, right? You look at this out of control population and the number of sportsmen here in the state, and a lot of people, and this is back to the apathy, right? A lot of people are like, oh, and you hear this not just in this state, right? But what what sense does it make, or what difference is there? You know, my my vote's not counted, or my voice isn't heard. You know, I'm tired of fighting things like that, um, and that. That's the worst thing we can do in my head, right? I mean, if we if we just lay down and they take it, then we don't have much we can complain about. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to push through is, look, it, it doesn't matter if you're outnumbered. You still got to fight the good fight. Um, you you got to keep you got to keep your head up and moving forward on them. At, at some point, it's going to take hold. I mean, we had the, the bear issue here last year and uh, it was scary. I, if I had to bank on it, I would have thought that not enough people were going to take action and we were going to lose our bear hunt. And uh, wow, the the outcry of support, you know, from folks even out of state. Um, and, and it was it was floored. You know, they they put it to the side. I mean, it's reared its head up again, but we kind of expected that. And now we need more push. What you're talking about is, I refer to that as the Battle of Thermopylae. There's only 300 of us, but we're going to take on an army of a million, and we're going to give them hell. We may lose in the end, but we're going to give them hell along the way. Okay. I mean, at, at, at least you did what you could, right? I mean, I ain't never, I ain't never fought a fight worth worth fighting and then regretted it, win or lose, at the end of it. Um, you know, how how much do you really want to see this continue? And I. And I'm gonna. I keep beating up on us, but it, it, I think that's where the biggest problem is. Is with us, uh, we we scream and holler that we love it and we're passionate about it, and you know it's part of our lives. But then we don't we don't do what it takes. No, people don't educate themselves uh, as to the to the I'll just say the enemy. Uh, if you want to see something scary. Uh, go to the HSUS website 
and click on their big convention that they've got coming up in April in Orlando. I did. I went to it. I looked it up. Five days, they have already have 3,500 paid participants coming to the convention. And then I looked at the sessions and the speakers. It's, uh, it's scary stuff. It's talking about holding seminars to educate teachers how to teach young kids about hunting, uh, about uh, how to, you know, uh, dogs. Uh, there are classes on fundraising and how to raise money to defeat hunting in your area. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there about kennels and, and, and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there about stopping coyote killing contests and uh, all of that kind of stuff. They, one of the things they're after is apparently there's still quite a bit of pigeon shooting going on, which is very popular in some parts of the country. That's a big topic at this year's convention. You start reading down through there, and they've got all these speakers paid coming in, 3,500 people from, from 48 states is what their website said, and half of it is seminars on how to organize, fund, and legislate anti-hunting bills. There's a reason we're seeing 8, 10, 12 bills already this year in all these different states. It's, it's organized, they are very well funded, they know what they're doing, and they're so far ahead of the game to most of the sportsmen that it's all we can do to catch up. They're, they're already at 11,000 feet, and we're still down at 88,000 8, trying to climb the mountain. And if you don't take time, go to, go to Defenders of Wildlife. Oh, my Lord. I mean, you read their website, and they have a, a, a training seminars around the country, and it's the same thing. How to raise money, how to legislate, how to influence your legislators, how to get things on the ballot box. If you have, one of their seminars is if you have an unfriendly legislature, how to get it on a ballot box and let the general population vote on it. Uh, I mean, they're doing everything they need to do right now, and we're sitting back still talking about crossbows versus compound bows. <laughs> Isn't it something? I can't do anything but laugh, and, and I shouldn't. It, it just it just puzzles the the bejesus out of me it is something else so okay so with that well, if you, oh sorry go ahead if you don't laugh at it it's going to drive you crazy it does both <laughs> it does, I, I find myself but but i find myself pulling my hair out right and and like i i did a thing for sportsman's alliance last year right and i just i just wanted to generate traffic like hey get off your butt so i I reached out to a bunch of companies, all these companies contributed. Right. And I mean, it was, it was like, yes, but the response from sportsmen was like, you guys, what are you, like, what are you doing? Like, I, I shouldn't have to get a scope from X company or, you know, uh, boots or packs to motivate you to continue to do what you say you love to do. It just, it's crazy. And, and the one thing that, is phenomenal. It's remarkable to me, right? With, with the anti-groups is that they are together. They don't care whether it's muzzleloader, whether it's crossbow, whether it's trad archery, whether it's trap, they want it all gone. And they're on the same United Absolutely. front and it doesn't matter what political party you're in or what state you're in, 
nothing. Just, yes, get on board, and we are going to fight this, and we're going to push, and we're going to walk these halls, and we're going to make sure that all of it is gone, and we're going to affect it in any way, shape, or form. Um, it just, I, I really wish I knew how to get the message out and how we arm ourselves um, better and, and, and just bring this, bring this freaking stubborn pig-headed demographic together. Well, you know, give credit where credit's due. And I know this sounds like, like blowing smoke, but, but doing exactly what you're doing right now, bringing it to the forefront is, is a big thing. And, and stop and ask yourself, when was the last time on a podcast, a radio show, but let's, let's go bigger scale on, on cable TV, any of the outdoor shows, you know, all the shows sponsored by the, you know, the alphabet soup groups. When, when was the last time you heard, you heard the topic of, of, of anti-hunting and how to defeat it discussed on any of those shows? It, it's all about, it's all about uh, finding the biggest buck, shooting the longest beard turkey or killing a limit of, of waterfowl. And, and it, you know, unfortunately, it, it creates a level of, I hate to use this word, but it creates a level, level of ignorance among sports people that, hey, I'm just going to be able to keep on doing this forever and ever. And in, in, until the day, you, until that day they wake up and realize that, what do you mean I, I, I can't do that anymore? And, you know, that... I mean, that is a very real possibility. I hope I'm not around for that day to when that, whenever that day comes around, but um, you know, we've watched seasons slip away in other States and the good news is only to see them come back in most cases too. But, and that's because it's not, you know, those decisions are made on sound science. You know, I, I told somebody one time, how many, uh, how many uh, joggers is, is, is it going to take, uh, you know, being killed or mauled by mountain lions before California brings mountain lions season back. Yeah, they got they got them on the uh, temp endangered list until twenty twenty five now, right? And and right. and I mean, I and I can tell you from being in the field here that there is zero shortage. I can tell you that the ungulates are hurting, but who's listening, right? And 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 a lot of and thank goodness for sportsman's alliance right i really believe in what they're doing because everyone else i've tried to get action here um from another abc group and i don't consider it a sportsman's alliance an abc group and it fell on deaf ears like i was appalled that i was supporting said group and i couldn't get a response on on the local level on the state level on the the national i could not it was like what are you guys doing then you're not doing a daggum thing and, and part of me gets it because of this state, right? It's a heck of an uphill battle. But if you're not doing nothing, don't pander for the dollars here. If you're not going to put those dollars to use, I it just, oof, it chaps my ass. Um, how, this may be a, a slippery slope. Um, and, and if you guys decline to answer, I have, you know, no harm, no foul. How, in your opinions, have the ABC groups hurt us? Because I see some detriment into those divides. Now, I see a, a, a fair amount of good, but I also see a lot of detriment. And even in terms of how us sportsmen 
how we look at them because we don't see what we thought we were going to see. Well, I, uh, I expressed it earlier. I know when, when we were fighting the bear issue here in Kentucky and HSUS was fighting us tooth and nail and we went up and testified before the legislature, uh, I asked several of the, of the ABC groups, like I said earlier, to, to, to come help us. And, uh, it was like pulling teeth. I never could get any of them to, to, to really step up. And, uh, you, you know, with, with those groups, it's all about the money. Uh, and I, I, it takes money to run those groups. They do a lot of, a lot of good. REMF is just, they've opened up that hundreds of thousands of acres, uh, conservation efforts, DU same way with, with, with wetlands and all, but they've got their own little areas and it's like, they don't now. I don't know whether they, it's it's because of they don't want to get in the in political fights because very seldom do you see them get involved. They can't if their their five hundred one c is a group, but they can get involved in legislation. Uh, they just don't want to seem to, to to step into it. And I've I've asked them, hey man, why aren't you doing this? Hey, I can't. My bosses above me have told me just to stay out of it. I was told that by a guy with with the with du. Um, I'm just going to name names. He said, I, I can't get involved in this bear fight. He said, it's not our fight. And for us to stay out of it, we don't want to, we, we may need some help from these politicians later on. So we don't want to antagonize them. We're just going to sit on the sidelines. And, uh, you know, the, but, but yet they'll hold, you know, they, right now they're all hurting. They all depend on banquets for their fundraising. And due to COVID, 75% of their funding for NWTF, NDA, which used to be QDMA, National Wild Turkey comes from the banquets. And they, they, they're they just now starting to reopen the banquets. But uh, I know a lot of these groups have cut way back. They've laid people off. They've closed up offices uh, because their funding just basically went away. So that may be part of it recently. But uh I, I don't know. We get them all to the table and sit down. Maybe uh, I noticed when Oregon, I think it was last year, they had that crazy bill came out, which actually is still out there. That IP10, that IP10, which uh, they're trying to get it on the ballot, would make Oregon a sanctuary state, and no hunting of any type would be allowed. Uh, actually, it, it even gets worse than that. It gets into livestock and everything else. But the main crux was totally outlaw all hunting. Oregon would be a sanctuary state. They needed a thousand signatures that which they got in the first hour and a half of posting it. And I think they need a hundred and twelve thousand to get it on the ballot by this November, and it's still going. I understand that boy, everybody fired up then. DU, Rocky Mountain Elk, uh, you know, the Mule Deer Association, all of a sudden they were all together meeting and working together and it would be nice to see them do that in every state whether it was just a bear issue or a beagle issue yeah that's uh ip13 is what that is and that that is 13 yeah. that is the most absurd thing i have ever seen i mean it affects anything that they deem as harm or cruelty and and to animals and and that's something that always strikes me right and and when you talk to any hunter, right, anybody that's involved in the circle of life, 
with their own hands, right? That's the last thing we want is for an animal to suffer. But that's always the talking point, always their their go-to, right? That emotional tug. And it's so far from the truth when it comes to how we how we treat or respect and, and our admiration for these animals. It just oh, drives me crazy. What in this in this fight with with the league and and call it the antis, what what have you guys learned about the opposition? Stuff that folks need to grab a hold of um, outside of their, you know, their power in numbers and how they fight. What what other what other things can you guys give us insight to? Uh, I, the first one that, that I make no qualms about Go saying ahead. is you can you can never be friends with them and you will never agree with them. Um, I learned the hard way when when I was at the time I was state president and uh, we had someone who was a member of the league came, came to us and made a presentation to our board of directors. And it was about animal cruelty. Okay. Animal cruelty in the sense of how it led into uh, bigger issues with, you know, uh, uh, abuse of, you know, spousal abuse and so on and so forth. Okay. And there were a lot of liberties that were taken immediately after that presentation. And uh, let's just say, let's just say what had started off as, as pleasant dialogue did not end that way. And uh, based on a recent post I saw not too long ago, I think that individual uh, still doesn't have very fond memories and how that situation wrapped up. But you, you, as a sports person, we're not going to find a middle ground. So we just have to accept that and, and we have to continue to fight for what's right for us and what's I think is reasonable and logical, you know, to, to hear about Oregon and banning hunting altogether, that's not reasonable and logical. You know, there, there's just a multitude of issues that would come out of that. So um yeah, you're not gonna you're not going to find a middle ground and you're not going to compromise because trust me, they're not going to. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, right? There's an yeah. ABC group that says, Oh, we'll come to the table with any of them. You know, we're willing to talk to to everybody. You want to come to the table and, and yeah, I, I have huge reservation and issue with that. They, they tried to slip a uh, what they called a dog fighting bill through. And actually, just like Mark said, similar, by the same person uh, came through and just said, hey, uh, uh, we, we want to stop, you know, the dog fighting, which is which has been a problem in, 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 in some parts of Kentucky in years past. Uh, and we, that, that's what this bill is all about. We just want to stop dog fighting. And uh, we hope you all will support us because we know how much you all love your dogs and, and so forth. And this is just to stop dog fighting and bait dogs and, and the mistreatment of those dogs and how they're trained to fight, et cetera, et cetera. You started digging in it. All of a sudden you found out, oh, well, these guys that have hounds, they can't keep them on a leash more than two hours a day. The rest of the time they got to be open and in like a third of an acre. And, and you started reading more and more and it basically was shutting down the, the hunting dogs who probably get better taken care of than most people's pets. But it was the hounds. It was bird dogs. Uh, 
it was it, it's all hidden in there. Like Mark said, you can't trust them. If you go to their website and look at at, at their, just like I said, that that uh, national convention they have coming up in Orlando in April, and you read the synopsis of their sessions and their speakers. They want everything gone, just like you said and Mark said. They don't care if it's muzzleloading, bow hunting, trapping dogs. They want all sport hunting completely outlawed. And anybody who goes in thinking that they're going to negotiate with them and deal with them uh, is, is sadly uh, mistaken. I've been uh, this week, uh, Just uh, I'm usually in the gym three or four days a week, but uh, this week the weather's been real cold and bad, so I was sitting at home watching TV one afternoon. Uh, and I, I happen to like the old show NCIS and I'm watching NCIS reruns. Every commercial, every single commercial was some picture of some little poor dog in the snow on a leash, weighed about 60% of what it needed to weigh with a 55 gallon gas uh, garbage can. And, and for $19 a month, I could adopt that dog and, and, and pay money and, and make sure that it was taken care of. The next one was from an organization, which I wasn't really familiar with, called WWF. And they wanted me to pay $11 a month to adopt an elephant in Africa yeah. to help stop trophy hunting. And, uh, and it was one commercial after the other for two hours. And it was the most pitiful scenes, heart-tugging, uh, you know, they're out here raising money right and left. And sportsmen as a group, we don't raise money until there's a, a battle on the forefront. Or they're get a put, free they're t-shirt. filling their war chest. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Now, that's, that's when we react and we go, oh, man, well, we got to do something. And they've already, you know, made donations to political candidates. That, uh, that, that one of their seminars in there is about choosing your candidate to give donations to. Uh uh, you know, they're, they're they're organized, and they have one thing on their mind, and that's like Mark said, they, they are the enemy, and they're not to be dealt with. You know, so a couple of years ago here, uh, they they introduced this, this and it's actually rearing its head again, and I haven't gone through the whole bill, but um, they were trying to, well, it, this bill that was being presented was under the guise of, hey, you don't need we're, we're going to do away with pig tags and we're going to give you a year long permit. And the fine print in this thing basically outlawed any enclosed pig hunting. Well, the majority of the pig hunting in the state is done on private, um, you know, around agricultural areas. And what it did is it didn't matter if it was, you know, that that high fence situation or three strand barbed wire that the pig could jump right over. If the area was enclosed, you could not hunt pigs. And the importance of, of reading through these bills, right? We're not in a position as sportsmen that we can take any of this stuff on its face value, right? It, 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 it just doesn't, if we see something and it looks like it's too good to be true, then by golly, it probably is because we don't have people in there changing this stuff uh, for the benefit of us. Uh, so I want to make sure I touched on that too. And the importance of reading through these bills or getting on sportsman's Alliance website and, and, you know, looking at their write-up or, or someone else's write-up of these bills um, because going through them is, is arduous. A lot of reading them legalese, man, is nothing. That's, that's, you know, toilet time um, for most folks. And, and nobody really wants to fall asleep reading that stuff. 
but you know, having this stuff on the surface, it, it it's not, it's not meant to benefit us at this point. In my opinion, it, it's something, it's something ugly. You know, I like the way you said that nobody's out there doing anything for us. You, that, that is a, that is a great way to frame it up. If you see a, if you see a piece of legislation and it impacts uh, hunting or fishing or trapping, you, you can probably pretty well count on the fact it's not, it's not a good bill, at least in today's world. You know, Ed, I got it. Ed's giving me a little bit of, of PTSD and I, and I, I say that jokingly, but a lot of these things he's mentioned, it happened under, under my watch as president. And, and I'm not saying that to take credit for it, but there were some tough, tough battles. And I, even the, the, the constitutional amendment, the right to hunt and fish, you know, there was a lot of questions as to whether or not that was going to pass because our two big urban areas, Louisville and Lexington uh, is where the big concern came from. It wasn't out in the state. It wasn't in the rural areas. It was coming out of the, the two major metropolitan areas, you know, where the, the, the densest voting population is, how would those people react? And, and surprisingly to a lot of people, the vote was overwhelmingly in favor of supporting it. I don't hunt and fish. You know, you heard comments, I don't hunt or fish, but I don't have a problem with people doing it. Um, that's back to that 80% that, that, that was being tossed around earlier. And we've got to keep that 80% friendly. Absolutely. But it takes, again, what, what both of you guys said is it takes a proactive approach and we have to be, we have to be armed with information that we can present uh, instead of just, you know, and, and, and I'm guilty of it. I'm going to just say it. I've been guilty of it here. You know, for years, I didn't, I, I assume that the things I were fighting for uh, was, was for future generations. I never thought in a, a million years that, I'd be fighting for my rights to continue this, right? And there's a level of ah, there's a level of of guilt and remorse I have for that uh, because now I'm being as as proactive as I'm trying to be. I'm still being reactionary to it based on the onslaught, right? And 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 that's where I think you guys can teach so many of us these lessons, and and hopefully folks are listening. How? So how does that, how does it work, right? If you, you have your nine districts are, say, say we're having an argument with houndsmen versus trappers. Do those nine districts come together and are, are we fighting amongst ourselves? Is that a wise way to do it? You know, coming together and saying, okay, this is, how, how do we affect that when, when we're, you know, scrapping with each other so it doesn't, it doesn't get as far as, you know, the state. Well, many times what the league will do, what the board will do um, in, a, in a debate of that sort, okay, they will take a vote and they will draft a, uh, a position paper on, on, on the, on, you know, stating this is our board of directors and this is where we are on this, okay? But that does not preclude these or other organizations I say other organizations, the sportsman's organizations, the individual sportsman's organizations, i.e., let's say it's a trapper's group versus a houndsman's group, from still going at it and taking their, you know, and, and arguing their positions and their issues, you know, in front of our uh, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Commissioners. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's still a land of free speech and, and, you know, the league doesn't swing that kind of hammer that says, if you're a member of the league, you can't speak out against this, you, you know, because it, you know, that's everybody's right to do that. But um, on the more controversial issues, the league has a tendency to, to develop a position paper. And, you know, you kind of sent over a little list of bullet points you wanted to hit on. And, and one of those was fair weather friends. And I'm not sure how you meant that, but when those situations arise, you do find out who your fair weather friends are in those, those cases. And, and there are groups that have left the league because they didn't feel the league was being supportive of, of, of their, of their individual cause. I shouldn't say individual respective issue or cause. Um, and then on the on the flip side of that, there's been organizations that have joined to become members of the league uh, in anticipation of, of of getting the league to help fight their battle for them. And uh, you just have to sort all that out and and do the best you can on it. You know you you can't keep you can't keep all the people happy all the time. Not with a you group know, of sports people. You know, you know. Ultimately, it's about and, and the, the league the has to good. form alliances. You know, guy, the league we we've had to form alliances as well with other groups. Um, example: backcountry hunters and anglers. They're, they're new in Kentucky. Only been there a couple years, but they've got a very strong organization, and they've got some good leadership. And they watch the bills like a hawk. Uh, and I, I've sat down with, with their state directors and, and they say, look, our bylaws won't let you, won't let us join the league, but we want to come to your meetings and we're going to support what you all do. And even though we're there, they don't have, they're not an ABC. Well, I guess they are BHA. So they're another ABC group, but we've actually, you know, we, we've brought, we brought them in. They're not necessarily a member of the league, but we've made alliances to work with those people in the first and in the future. Um, you know, social media is, is one of the things that, uh, uh, HSUS hits on. And one of the things in one of their sessions, they're told to monitor the hunting sites. I was on Colorado, uh, elk hunting or Colorado hunting, or maybe I can't remember which one. And these guys were going back and forth about, Resident versus non-resident. And they were getting nasty. Well, we don't want your ass here in Colorado. Stay back in Pennsylvania and back and forth. And I just got on there and said, hey, you realize HSUS, PETA, and these people are reading this and they're loving it. Yeah, I mean, it just adds fuel to their fire. Every time we fight among ourselves, they sit back and laugh and count more money. They use it against us. And I just told them, I said, you guys need to realize there's a lot bigger picture than resident versus non-residents because when they come in here and take away all your hunting rights none of us are going to get to hunt and i yeah i just get frustrated sometimes on there uh you know there'll be seven or eight guys that are pretty logical but then you've always got the one or two uh one of the things that i saw on a uh, this has been a year ago it was on an anti-hunting site there for a while it was kind of the the thing to do on facebook and instagram was if you, if you took an, a deer or you took an elk, was you had people laying down right beside them and head to head laying there. You know, it, it just, 
almost ridiculing the animal or they thought it was funny or whatever. And that's the kind of stuff that comes back when we go to the 80% and we're trying to convince them. And we've got the other side. Well, look, this is what they think. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And, and we've just got to clean up our act a lot better and educate people when we see people on social media, on these hunting sites, doing that is, hey, you know, just you need to you need to chill your jets a little bit, cool your jets a little bit and and realize that that's a lot bigger picture and we don't need to be fighting among ourselves. But that's sometimes that's just preaching to the choir. You know, what's scary about that is we're giving them insight. Right. Uh, you, you know, you said fuel to their fire Absolutely. and dollars, but yeah. we're giving them insight to the issues in our demographic. So if we're already on our heels and we're we're giving them more insight, we're further on our heels because they know the internal fights we have. So they're going to attack. And, and if you ask me, that's where we're at now. Right. With with the predator hunting. I mean, look at the attack on predator hunting. Yes, there's people that that are in love with it, that do it, that love it as passionate as an elk hunter or a deer hunter. Generally speaking, it's ungulates that get our attention. In my head, that isn't a, an accident that they're going after predators. This is because they are monitoring. They see it. They see the the pride in in uh, ungulate whether i don't care if it's elk or deer right they see that they see that the numbers in predator hunting aren't as strong why not go after it, it it's i could be wrong to me it's obvious it's calculated same way with the beagle clubs up up in the east where they're going after you know that they're they're going after just like you said guy they're going after a lot of the smaller portions that don't get as much attention because they see them as being not as strong to fight back. Well, if you stop and think about it, I honestly, in my mind, I cannot come up with a single organized predator hunting group. I just don't think, I don't think it exists out there. So when the, when the fight comes, there's nobody, there's nobody on a national level maybe on a state level, but you have to question how organized they would be to go fight that battle. So it's the low, it's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. And then, and then when, when the guys, when the predator hunters don't feel like they got the support because they lost, now we just lost their support because they fell left out in the cold. So, so we're in a losing situation, divide and conquer, right? They pull those predator guys out of the mix. They know that those numbers will not support the, the major hits, right? Which would be deer, elk, antelope, right? Big, big game species as we call them. Um, and then, you know, Ed, you brought up social media, right? And, and it's not, it's not just those internal arguments. And I say this all the time is, is there was a time, maybe there was a time and place where we could frivolously post blood all over the place or a tongue hanging out, right? Just what, what some folks would be, some folks consider that off-putting when they see, you know, a grip and grin that isn't cleaned up or isn't presented well. And, and people will argue that, and I'm not against a grip and grin. I do. Them. But what I am against is giving anyone fuel to the fire or hold this against not just me, but the both of you and anyone else that's a hunter. And I don't, I don't think that we realize that that has to be a conscious effort because we're, you know, we want to assume that, you know, screw them. 
that's my page. I'm going to post what I want to post or, or whatever that attitude is, right? But it, it doesn't help us. Well, I, I don't know where you exactly where you draw the draw the line on that. You know, I'll give you a real quick analogy. I, a longtime friend, uh, you know, I was unfriended on, on social media because I, I post probably ad nauseum pictures of my bird dogs in the field. There's nothing bloody. There's nothing gory. It's not raining feathers in the picture. It's not the ubiquitous tailgate lined up with birds on the end of it. It's two really great dogs doing what they love to do, standing on point sometimes in, you know, the best conditions and sometimes in the worst conditions. And I, I was unfriended because I'm, I'm being cruel to those dogs because they, you know, because I'm making them hunt. no, I'm sorry, honey. It doesn't work that way. Those dogs are hunting because that's what they're bred to do. It is, it is in their DNA to do that. And they are having a ball while they do that. And I, I don't think you can ever get people to understand that until they ever, until they experience it. <laughs> so what do we do? Right. I mean, you know, it, it is, it is sharing the message of, why it's so important, right? Our heritage, what it provides. Um, I, that's all we could do. We're not going to win every single fight, you know, or every single conversation. Um, but it's a lot of it to me is how we have those conversations. Cause I, I'll, you know, whereas I wouldn't talk about it so freely, you know, 10 years ago, now somebody says something, I'll get that funny look and, and I will initiate a conversation from somebody looking down their nose at me about it. Uh, and, and maybe I convince them, uh, and maybe I don't, but at least they hear my side. Well, I think, you know, social media is, is a great avenue, you know, so many years ago, uh, and there's always at least one article in, in every outdoors magazine, which, or maybe online is a better way to say that anymore since, since so many of the, so much of the prints falling by the wayside, but, um, how to how to speak to an anti? You know, I, I see articles like that all the time, and the gist of those articles is know your facts, don't get emotional about it, be passionate, but don't be emotional. Can try do your best to control the conversation and realize that you're not going to change their mind. Just make your case, speak your piece, and and move on. Um, but doing what this podcast is doing, getting the word out. Social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever the case may be, our sportsmen's groups, you know, our individual clubs that, that we we frequent, our friends that we hunt with, you know, we have to have these conversations with those people and, and bring them into the fold. And, and, you know, they're like minded because they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But just because they're like minded doesn't mean they really get it. We have to educate them. And, and make them understand how it, it is a connected dot. It is a domino effect. And you need to, well, that, that's, that's Oregon. You know, I, I don't need to worry about Oregon. No, you really do need to worry about Oregon. Because after Oregon, then they're going to go after Washington State. And after Washington State, they're going to go to Idaho. And they're going to start, they're going to keep working their way across until they get to you someday. And uh, so, you know, it's not the vocal minority, it's the silent majority that's going to kill us in the end. 
You know, Kentucky, our state motto is united we stand, divided we fall. And there's a lot of wisdom in those words that can be applied to the scenarios that we're talking about right now. If as hunters and fishermen and trappers, if we continue to fight amongst ourselves, we are going to fall. It's just that simple. You know, the other thing, too, is is being vigilant, guy, knowing what's going on around you, uh, knowing what's going on, especially with your kids. And I'll use a, a, a prime example. Uh, you're familiar with NASF, National Archery in the School Program. Huge across the country, you know. Uh, the World Championships are going to be held here in Louisville. NASP started in Kentucky with a joint venture of the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the league. We promoted it. I think now it's in all 50 states and, you know, in every school. My granddaughter was joined her team at her school. Now, they live in Louisville, which is, you know, like Mark said, Louisville and Lexington's a pretty liberal area. Um, she came home one day after one of her practices and she was talking about, you know, shooting her NASBO. I said, great, honey. I said, you know, it won't be too much longer. You'll be able to shoot. We'll get you a compound and you can go deer hunting with me. Oh, no, Papa. Our, our coach told us we couldn't go hunting, that it, that hunting's not right. and We're not supposed to do that. We can shoot targets, but but he doesn't want us shooting big compounds and doesn't want us shooting animals. I'm like, really? That's what he told you? Yeah, Papa. Well, I, I went to one of their practices and I asked him. He's like, oh, yeah, no, no, we, we, we don't believe in hunting and hurting animals. But we teach these kids discipline and shooting. I said, are you aware that NAS was started to get kids in the outdoors and get them introduced to shooting a bow and coming back out outdoors? It was started by hunters to bring the next generation along. Well, I don't care. That's just the way it is. And, and when I started talking to some other people in a lot of areas, not unusual on some of those. Now, some of the NASP teams have have tremendous hunters and back them. But if if I hadn't asked my granddaughter, I would not have known of, uh, I'll call it indoctrination, kind of like what's going on in a lot of the schools, uh, that she was being told and taught by someone who was with her, you know, uh, five days a week after school for an hour. Uh, I, You know, she understands better now, but We've got to make sure that, that we know what's going on around us and what our kids. This year in Kentucky, we sold 10,000 more deer hunting license, deer tags, than we sold in the last 10 years. The department does a really good job of going after new adult hunters. They call it field to fork. And they put on, they teach adults who want to learn, people who've never hunt. Maybe a guy grew up and his parents didn't hunt or fish but he wants to learn how he's maybe he saw a show on TV and they're doing a really good job of bringing new adults into our uh, adults into hunting. that have never been there. Uh, and we, we've run some programs through the league the same way. Mark and I have both taught those classes. Uh, you've got what they call the locavore movement. Who are the people who yeah, want I was to say their own yeah. food and raise, yeah, yeah. They want to raise their own vegetables. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there but somebody's got to ask them, you know, ask your buddy who doesn't hunt. Hey man, you want to go? How about you? I'll take you deer hunting with me. Yeah. You know, I might like to do that. Typically we ask our buddies who are already hunters and we walk by maybe 10 other people who maybe would have asked, uh, like the opportunity. So 
we we need to to wake up a little bit to to promoting opportunity as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spin us before we wrap up here, and as we're talking, I've been kind of like looking at stuff, and um, and this is pretty interesting. This is this is uh about uh, the Idaho Fishing Game Commissioner uh, Blake Fisher. And when he got, you know, when he got into air quote, you know, trouble, um, but it's pretty funny, right? In, in one of his, in one of his quotes, and this goes back earlier where they use, they use everything against us. And, and in this, this article, it says he used the word harvesting as if the animals in the wilderness were plant food, though he had no intention of consuming what he had destroyed. These animals were trophies. And I, and and this is totally off of what we were talking about, but this is so interesting, right? Is we use these, you know, call them PC terms, right? Harvesting. And and this is just to say they don't care that we're using a term to make it palatable, right? Or what we think is palatable for them. You know, they're talking down on his use of harvesting and I hear it all the time and I've been guilty of it because I thought that was the thing to do to soften the blow. Um they don't care. They're against us, right? Stand up and, and, you know, put your money where your mouth is and start pounding the tables, whatever that looks like and take action. Um, gents, is there, is there any way if folks are interested in learning more about the league? Um, can they get on the website or where can they hear about the league or talk to you more about it? Ed, do you have um, that? You the league has the league has a website. You can simply just you can Google it and just type in uh, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, and and it will take you right to it. I'm, you know, I wish I could. I'm going to look it up for you real quick. So, um, I think it's KentuckySportsmen.com. I, I think you're right, Ed. I don't. I just don't want to guess, but you can. But again, you can Google League of Kentucky Sportsmen. Um, it has all the contact information on there for each of the districts, our, our district directors, um, the presidents of each district, the president, the statewide president, uh, who is Jimmy Cantrell and has been doing just an outstanding job. He came in uh, earlier this year into office. But, um, you, you know, the folks that are involved with the league are, are passionate about it and, um, and be glad to talk to people about it. And my, my name and phone and number. Way. Yeah, my yeah, my name and number and email is on there. When you go to it, it says uh, districts. When you go to it, click the third district. It'll say President Ed Morris. It's got my cell phone number and my email. And I'd be more than willing to talk to anybody from any state on on grassroots organization and and what we do that's been successful for us. I mean, you know, we. It, it's we're continuing what was started in 1935. We didn't invent the wheel. We're just trying to keep it polished a little bit. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and guy, that website is Kentucky sports men, M E N.com. Thank you. And we'll include that in the show notes. So Ed, I'm going to, I'm going to let you close this. Um, give them that, that wrap up message. Um, and, and, yeah, I'll let you take it out in, in your own words. Uh, you know, there's an old quote that says, we have met the enemy <laughs> and it is us, uh, to paraphrase it a little bit. And uh, sportsmen can be their own worst enemy, like Mark said. And I said earlier, apathy is our biggest problem. And you've 
everybody needs to be aware that we're in a war. Uh, it's organized. They got plenty of money. They know what they're doing. They're coming in after, I think there's 10 or 11 states right now. And what they do when they go after their donors is they use those victories to get more money. Look what we did here. We got rid of bear hunting in New Jersey. We got rid of mountain lion hunting in California. We need more money. They use those as victories. And then they use that money to come after you in your state, whether it's Arkansas or Kentucky or California. So you've got to be vigilant. And, and it takes a key group of volunteers who are willing spend the time, organize, and then rally the troops around them as needed. But it, it takes that core group. We probably have a group of about 15 or 20 uh, here in Kentucky that uh, are on top of everything. We walk the halls, but when we need to, we can call up 2,000 if we have to. So um, just be aware that, I mean, it's, it's a war. It's not going away. They're not going to stop. And uh, all you got to do is, is go to Sportsman's Alliance website or house and look at all the bills in every state and realize what's going on. Wonderful. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you so much for uh, spending time with me and helping me uh, push this out and raise awareness. Well, kudos to you, Guy. You started this with, with, with Joe and, and Jim Huntsman. I, I listened to that one, and then I wrote my email, and then you continued on. Joe had a he had a, a podcast this week about the same issue on his uh, blue collar elk his elk rose uh, uh, podcast he had one there and the Jim Huntsman had another one so you you guys are spreading the word a lot better than what two guys from Kentucky can do so so kudos to you and keep up the good work as well I appreciate that it and if we can ever be of assistance, we're glad to do it. Absolutely. I'm going to I'm gonna be forwarding some stuff over to you guys. And um, I, I know a couple people that have already expressed interest in talking. So we'll get that, that connection made. 